Well, I'm excited to open God's Word with you guys. Looking forward to unpacking the scriptures. Um, I do want to say yes, thank you for the pastor appreciation gift last week. <laughs> so uh, last week when you guys had me come on stage and gave, up, gave us a gift, um, I was just trying to keep it together. It was a hard week. So when I came up to preach, I'm thinking, keep it together, keep it together. And I never said thank you. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, man, uh, we're, we're so appreciative, as Erica was saying. I know Jeremy feels the same way. Uh, we're just so grateful for our church family and excited about just continuing to move on life together. Um, I'm going to pray as we start this, uh, this message for the morning. Uh, I know a lot of you guys have some, some, have some hardship going on, um, some difficult times. You know, I mentioned that last Sunday and thinking of how hard of a week that was. And, you know, this week uh, was, had its own deals of people getting injured, a car accident. I mean, just probably about four or five things. A, a, a father of one of our ladies here had open-heart surgery. I mean, there's, there's things going on. And so we just want to keep bringing it to God and not grow tired of praying for each other. So let's, let's make sure that we're proactive doing that. So with that being said, I want to pray and trust our time to the Lord. Father in heaven, God, we know this life is filled with many mountaintop experiences equally, if not more, valuable sometimes. And God, we, we come before you as, as mere men and women. Made in your image, though. And yet, those who are just, just discouraged at times by life. Father, I pray that you would continue to put a pep in our step. Not, not, a, not a rose-colored glasses kind of thing, but a sure confidence in the God that your Holy Spirit work in each of our hearts, God, to heal where it's needed, to bring hope where it's needed, and increase faith where that is needed. Lord, we pray for the churches around us, God. We ask, God, that you would cause them to grow and to be effective in reaching people who don't know you. Lord, we lift up city lights, we lift up new life, we lift up Belmont Assembly and Bethany Baptist Church and Legacy and Cross Culture. Lord, we lift up these churches and others that I haven't mentioned, God, we pray that you would bless their leaders, bless their pastors, protect them, God. Use them, Lord, to reach their neighbors. And, Father, in the same way, I pray you would do the same thing here. And that, Father, we would look around our world and see what it needs. is not a new political plan. It's not, it's not that we need more money, God or a better system, and, and though things may be broken, Lord, what we need is you. So, Father, I pray that we as a church would be courageous in our pursuit of you. For those who are here today, God, searching out this faith who don't know you, Lord, may they find the hope that we have in Jesus today. May they know that there is offered a forgiveness of their sins and eternal life and hope because of Jesus. So, God, may you do this work and be glorified among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had one of those want-to-get-away moments in life? Remember those Southwest commercials? Well, I was with one of those with Jeremy last year, and it was at his expense. I asked for permission to share the story, so. We were at Home Depot uh, about a year ago, and uh, at the time, Jeremy was working for a scholarship organization that helped, helped uh, high school students get some scholarships when they went into college, and, and he ran into one of his students there at Home Depot. And... Um, they were, gonna, they were supposed to have a scholarship dinner that Saturday night, but the student said he couldn't come. 
And so Jeremy runs into, actually, the, the, not the student, but his parents at Home Depot. He said, hey, I saw your son. I was talking to him. We have that dinner tonight, but he said he couldn't make it. They're like, oh, yeah, he can't make it. And Jeremy's like, yeah, he says, he says it's your birthday, he tells the father. He's like, you have a birthday party tonight. And dad's like, no, we don't. And Jeremy's like, no, no, your son told us he can't go to the dinner because he has a birthday party for his dad. And his parents are like, no, no, there's no birthday party. And Jeremy's like, I caught this kid up. He's lying to me. He uses the excuse of his dad's birthday party to get out of this dinner. So Jeremy's driving this thing home, and his parents are like, no. And then they walk away. I'm like, Jeremy, you just spoiled a surprise birthday party, man. <laughs> so of course the dad didn't know about it, because it was a surprise party for him. And we just lost it there at Home Depot, just almost laughing in tears. <laughs> You've had times you said things, you're like, that shouldn't have happened, and it's created a real funny story, no doubt. That's why I love those Southwest Airline commercials. But on the other hand, there's been times you've said some things, and they've had different outcomes, haven't they? Maybe hurtful ones. And as that word exits your mouth, you want to rope it back in, and you know it's too late. Our words are powerful. Our words can make us want to get away. They actually could bring hope and healing to somebody. Well, today we're continuing on our series in the book of Job, a man that was hurting and needed words of encouragement, needed words of hope. I want to backtrack a little bit for us to, to put it back in, our, in, our, uh, in the front of our minds here. There's a story in the middle of the Bible, in the book of Job, of a man who was known to be a man of integrity, who was upright and blameless, who feared God and turned away from evil. That's the description of this man that they give, that the Bible gives. And one day when the angelic beings were coming before God, Satan joins the line and he comes before God. And God says, where have you been? And he says, well, I've been roaming about the earth. And God says, have you seen my servant Job? And of course Satan had seen him. And Satan right away says, yes, I've seen him. And God says, you see how he's blameless, upright, he fears me and turns away from evil. And Satan says, he does that only because his life is good. He loves you because you have bubble-wrapped this man. You've given him great possessions. You've given him great animals that you sell, and he has a business. He's got ten kids who actually like each other. Of course he loves you, God. And God says, well, he's in your hands. Just don't harm the man. Satan brings about various things, various catastrophes, and all of Job's property and possession is wiped out through raiders and natural disasters. And then lo and behold, his ten children were getting together, having a meal in the older brother's house. When the wind came through, knocked over the building, all ten of Job's children died. One thing after the other. The Bible says that Job shaved his head in mourning, tore his clothes, put ashes on his face, fell down and worshiped God. And then he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Such faith. Well, Satan goes back to God and says, Job only loves you because he's healthy. Yeah, you've taken away everything, but skin for skin, he'll only love you if he is healthy. His faith is as good as his comfort and his health and God says he's in your hands, just don't take his life. Satan afflicts Job with boils from his head to his toe. 
and he's scraping off the boils with pottery, trying to find some resolve. And in the midst of his horror and agony, Job's wife says, do you still hold on to your integrity? Curse God and die. So not only has Job lost everything, but now his helper, his, his wife, is telling him to give up, throw in the towel, let go of integrity. Job says, you speak foolishly. Shall we not only accept good from God, but not also bad? And in all that, the scripture tells us, Job did not see. But now we find Job, a man, sitting down in ashes, lost his children, lost his possessions, and for all practical purposes, lost his wife. And there he is in mourning. He needs a word. He needs a word. He needs a word of encouragement. He needs something to help him through. And then in Job chapter 2, verse 11, three of his buddies show up. Would you open your Bibles with me to the book of Job chapter 2? There is a pew or a chair Bible in front of you, the seat in front of you there. Again, as we always say, and we mean this from the bottom of our hearts, if you don't own a Bible, please consider the one in that chair a gift from the brook to you. We'd love for you to have the Bible because through the Bible, God speaks to us. We want you to hear from God. Job chapter 2, and Job is in the middle of the Bible to the left. If you're in the book of Psalms, there's a book right before that. What's that? Page 418, thank you. What we're going to see is that when you're broken and battered, confused and in chaos, we need to do what Job did, and that's put your frail faith in the character of your strong God. Job is here in ashes, and his three friends come to be with him. I'm going to read here the opening verses, chapter 2, verses 11, to the end of the chapter. Let's see what his friends do as this brother needs a word of encouragement. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the, Na the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort. Well, they're some good friends, aren't they? Saying, my, bro my, 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 my brother, our, our buddy here is having a hard time. We need to come to his aid. You know, a lot of us have people in our lives right now who need someone to come to their aid. And they need someone who's going to step in and be with them. Maybe you're in that place. Reach out to someone. Let them know, hey, I need help. I'm struggling. And when our people, our friends, or when we ourselves are struggling, we need a word from God through his that's what sustains us. Well, Job's friends show up in verse 13. When they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. And they're feeling his pain. In verse 13. Then they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Sometimes the best thing you can do is not say anything to your friend when you're struggling. Sometimes the best thing to say is nothing at all. They did that. They just sat there with him. They 
He knew that he was going through adversity like none other. But they also knew that eventually something needed to happen. And what happens is chapter 3. You know, if you're familiar with the story of Job, you may not be familiar with what happens after chapter 2. See, that's the way the story goes, is Job was a man of great integrity, but Job's not a man who was perfect. He was last week. But you got to hear this. He's not a guy who was always rock solid strong in his faith. You say, really? Yes. In fact, chapter 3, verse 1, gives us an indication of how Job was really feeling. He had seven days to think about it. Seven days of scraping the boils. Seven days of maybe hearing his wife tell him to curse God and die. Seven days of misery, missing everyone, his children, his possessions. And in chapter 3, verse 1, after this, after the seven days, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. That may not be the Job you've heard of before. You've got to be sure not to sugarcoat the guy. Job is a man who is struggling. And some of us are in this place or have been or will be, and you need to understand our emotions are a real thing, and don't, don't push them down. See, Job has good theology, and we're going to see this in a moment, but good theology is not absent from emotion, family. We can come to God raw with some hard questions and no answer and say, God, this is where I'm at. I don't get what you're doing. It feels unjust. It doesn't feel right. I don't like it. I don't want it. God, what's going on? You can do that. That's what Job does. And Job's not wrong for feeling these ways. He doesn't stay there. Neither can you and I. But this is where he's at. And this is where we're at sometimes. Look at chapter, chapter 3, verse 3. Job says, Let the day perish on which I was born. And the night that said, a man is conceived. He's saying, when they said, it's a boy. He says, let that day never have happened. He goes on, let the day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. He's like, I don't want to celebrate a birthday. I wish I didn't have one. Let it not come into the number of the months. This is raw. Jump down to verse 11. Job says, why did I not die at birth? Come out from the womb and expire. Why did the knees receive me? Or why the breast that I should nurse? For then I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept. Then I would have been at rest. He says, at least if I had not been born or maybe died at a young age, I would not be going through what I'm going through right now. I would actually be at rest. That's raw emotion. Look at verse 20. Why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter in soul who long for death but it comes not and dig for it more than a hidden treasure? Job's like, why, why am I going through this? Why am I even still around? He's like, I'd rather be dead. I'm not going to curse God and die, but death does not sound so bad. It's not the picture we get of Job a lot of times. But again, Job is a man who's suffering. He's a man who's struggling. He goes from steady to stunned, doesn't he? 
man who was unwavering and unshaken, is now unfiltered and uncertain. He was constant, now he's clearly confused. For all intents and purposes, Job is walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Many of us will walk. It's not easy, but this is how he's feeling. I want to say one thing here. There's been times where we've wondered, is life worth living? Job never in this book contemplates self-hate or suicide. That's important. I need need to stress this because some of us, some of you today, perhaps even, have thought those thoughts and maybe you're there. Life feels so gloomy. These clouds are so thick. And you're thinking, man, what it would be to be out of this. Job never does this because of this. Despair never triumphs over hope in God. Okay? He's in despair. He's confused. But it never triumphs hope in God. If you feel, maybe you're in a place today where you're, you're contemplating your own life, you need to understand something. Your life is worth it right now. It is valuable. It is precious in God's sight. And if this is where you're at, please seek help from someone. I plead with you to do that. See, you, you can say, I don't want this anymore, and that's a real emotion, and, 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 and that's okay to feel that way. But then go to God, who won't leave you. Go to Him. Don't cut yourself. Don't harm yourself. Don't take those pills. Go to God and go to someone else and seek help. And God has value in your life. You're made in His image. You bear the image of God. Job is in this place. He doesn't contemplate his own life, nor does he curse God and die. He's just there struggling. And it's okay to be there. So when you're broken and battered and confused and in chaos, put your frail faith in the strong God of the Bible. So what God has for Job, and this is what he tells him. And so this is Job raw. But now his friends come in. And he's thinking, man, they got to set this brother straight. They got to help him out. They got to come to his aid. He is struggling. He is in the valley of the shadow of death. And what happens over the next 30 chapters is that Job has a conversation with his friends. From this point on, Eliphaz always speaks followed by Job, followed by Bildad, followed by Zophar, followed by Job. That happens three times. And each time, they're talking back and forth, sometimes in dialogue, sometimes not addressing each other, but they're sharing things. And what we're going to see is that his friends, though there to comfort him, actually are having a lot of want-to-get-away kind of moments, saying a lot of the wrong things that aren't so funny. See, Eliphaz starts out with Job, And he's saying, man, Job, things aren't looking good right here. Something is going on. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If one ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? Yet who can can keep from speaking? He's like, I got to say something. I got to answer what you just said in chapter 3. Behold, you have instructed many, and you have strengthened the weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling. And you have made firm the feeble knees, but now it has come to you, and you are impatient? It touches you, and you are dismayed? 
Is not your fear of God, your confidence, and the integrity of your ways, your hope? He's asking questions like, Job, are you, are you ready for what you're going through? You've, you've helped other people, but are, not, are you ready to go through it? Look at verse 17. He says, can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a maker be pure before, can a man be pure before his maker? He's, he's starting to, to, to make some insinuations here. Can a person really be right before God? What is he saying? Look at chapter 5, verse 2. Surely vexation kills the fool, and jealousy slays the simple. I have seen the fool taking root, but suddenly I cursed his dwelling. His children are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate, and there is no one to deliver them. What's he saying here? What are you talking about, the children of a fool being crushed? You can put two and two together. Eliphaz is saying, Job, clearly this is happening to you because you've done something wrong. Your children are crushed because you're playing the fool. You've got to change this. Look in verse 17 of chapter 5. He says, Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. He's saying, Job, you've clearly done something wrong. Basically, Eliphaz is functioning from this idea that says, righteous people are blessed, wicked people are punished. Job, you appear to be punished, therefore you must be a wicked person. So repent. Turn away from your sin and let God heal you, Job. This is what Eliphaz believes. Well, later on, Bildad speaks up in chapter 8. And Job had just talked about, I'm, I'm innocent, I haven't done anything wrong. And Bildad's like, you know what, Job? You're calling God unjust here. Does God pervert justice? If a just God punishes the wicked and blesses the righteous, and you are being punished, you're saying God is unjust. Look at chapter 8, verse 1. Then Bildad, Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, How long will you say these things and the words of your mouth be a great wind? Does God pervert justice? Or does the Almighty pervert the right? If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgressions. This is a very not-so-subtle way of saying your kids deserve what they got. Verse 5, if you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore your righteous habitation. He said, if you make things right, Job, then you'll be right with God. Eliphaz and Bildad aren't too good at what they're doing. Well, then Zophar speaks up in chapter 11. And he says, Job, you must be guilty. Chapter 11, verse 1, Zophar the Namathite answered and said, Should a multitude of words go unanswered, and a man full of talk be judged right? Should your babble silence men when you mock? Shall no one shame you, Job? For you say, my doctrine is pure and I am clean in God's eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you. And that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom. For he is manifold in understanding. Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. In fact, Zophar is like, not only, Job, have you done wrong clearly, you're actually probably getting less than what you really deserve. With friends like these, who needs enemies? Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar come into Job 
But notice, there's some truth in what they're saying. Because generally speaking, the Bible does say that the righteous are blessed. And it does say that God will punish the wicked, does it not? So what do we make of what they're saying? And what we see is that they're misunderstanding the application of good theology. See, God's children are blessed beyond measure. But blessing doesn't always mean comfort, family. Blessing doesn't always mean health. It can, it may, but not always, just as suffering doesn't always mean wickedness. They had good theology, but wrong application. Job is here thinking, what is going on? These friends are frenemies to me. I need you to understand, family, that when people in our lives are suffering, they don't need your opinion. They don't need your advice that comes from the bottom of your soul. They need God and his word. If you won't give the word, don't give them an ear. Wisdom is God's wisdom. But family, come on. We don't want to be like Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, who are saying, hey, Job, kick them while you're down. You feel pretty bad, but, but clearly you should. You must have sinned. And Job is there like, what is going on with this situation? Worldly wisdom, wisdom doesn't cut it. In fact, in chapter 16, let's turn there. Look what Job tells them. I say the very thing that you're thinking. Chapter 16, verse 2, he says, I have heard many such things from you guys. Miserable comforters are you all. You're horrible at your job. You came here to, to show me sympathy? You, you guys stink at this. In fact, Job goes on to say, contrary to what you're saying, I've seen the wicked prosper. You say wicked people are punished. Job says, I look in the world in chapter 27, and I see people who are wicked, and they see their great-great-great-grandkids. Their houses are big. They've got money and wealth. The wicked are not always punished in this life. And Job's like, well, even what you're saying is messed up. He says, contrarily, he said, I've walked in integrity. Don't, don't, don't call me unrighteous here. Yeah, I'm not perfect. Job knows this. But he says, don't say I haven't been upright before God. I've strived to be upright. They don't know what God said of him, but we know that he was blameless, upright, feared God, and turned away from evil. And so Job now in chapter 27 is pleading his case. Let's turn over there. Chapter 27. Verse 2. He says, God, As God lives, who has taken away my right, and the Almighty who has made my soul bitter, as long as my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak falsehood, and my tongue will not utter deceit. Far be it from me to say that you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from you. I hold fast my righteousness and will not let it go. Family, a lot could be taken away from us. In fact, everything material in your life can be taken away from you. But no one can steal your faith. 
No one can steal your confidence in God and the integrity with which you walk in because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And Job's saying, no matter what I go through, what you say, I'm not giving up here. I am not turning my eyes from this God. Well, Job goes on to tell them the ways in which he walked in integrity. This was exciting for me as I was reading the book of Job because you hear this man whom God gives this great description. I'm like, what does it look like, though, for Job to walk in integrity? We talked about it, integrity is who you are when no one is watching. But what kind of things did Job do that demonstrated his integrity? We'll look at chapter 29 now. I know we're moving around. It's 42 chapters in five weeks. Chapter 29, verse 2, Job talks about his integrity, and he does so by saying, I've missed the days of old. He says, oh, that I were as in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and by his light I walked through darkness, as I was in my prime, when the friendship of God was upon my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were all around me. Job is missing the time. This is a man who suffered. And he says, but he goes on to talk about how when he would walk through the town, people respected him. They honored him, and he misses that because now people scorn him. They look at him, and his best friends are there accusing him of unrighteousness. He says, people knew who I was. They respected me. Why? Well, look at verse 12. Because I delivered the poor who cried for help. And the fatherless who had none to help him. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and, cl- and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. Job is saying this. When things were right, I walked with integrity, and the way that looked was I advocated for justice. I cared for the broken people. He says, you guys are accusing me of being wicked and having some secret sins. He says, but in actuality, I poured my life out to serve those who were in need. This is fascinating for me, family. Job had integrity of action. Integrity is who you are when you're not looking, but it's also an integrity of action. He did something about it that we would be men and women who have integrity like this. In our own society, we've got to stand up as men and women and young people and youth. Stand up against racism. That's injustice. Stand up for the unborn and ask for life from God and healing for those who've been hurt by it. We need to restore and bring hope in a foster system that's broken in our country. One such organization that does that, and I'm just excited and eager to have them come to the brook sometime in the near future is Safe Families at Lydia Home, where they're, they're just trying to help the needy, the poor, and you yourselves can be one who takes in a child for a week or a weekend or a month or three months in order to bring them back to their parents after their parents get through hardship. This is the kind of stuff that Job did. He cared for those who had no one else to advocate for them. He said this was the way he walked in integrity. And also notice how in his caring for them, he provided for them. 
See, Job was a wealthy man, but he wasn't wealthy to splurge it upon himself. He used his wealth to care for others. See, this is where oftentimes we get mistaken. We, we, we mismanage perhaps our finances, and we find ourselves in a financial pinch because our wants have become needs. And we're then unable to be generous because we're living, struggling financially because of choices we made. And Job said, I want to use my wealth not to lavish my own life, but to serve those who are in need. See, integrity goes into every aspect of our lives. It's who we are in our private life. It's who we are in our public life. It's how we advocate for, the, for those who are experiencing injustice. It's how we even manage our finances so that we can advance God's kingdom by loving on those who are needy. And what a joy it is to be generous. Job is saying, this was what I was like. This is what life was like for me. And here you call me wicked. See, throughout the book of Job, Job teeters back and forth like a seesaw going back and forth, talking with his friends. But even in his conversations, every so often he starts directing his words to God, and and he's wrestling. We saw him in chapter 3, and that same rawness intertwines throughout the book where he's saying, God, I don't know what's going on. I don't get it. Why aren't you answering me? Several times he asked that question, God, why aren't you responding to me? Oh, that I would have an opportunity to talk with you. Job ultimately understands that his problem isn't with his friends and his family, although that is it but it's with God. Let's look in chapter 27 one more time. I'm sorry, chapter 19. Chapter 13, sorry. (laughs) Making sure you're paying attention, y'all. Chapter 13, verse 13. As Job interacts with his friends and he's struggling, he realizes, God, I'm having a hard time. And and isn't that how it works for us? We we know when we're going through hardship, yeah, people come around being sensitive, and that's hard, and it's hurtful, and they're saying things. But at the end of the day, you know, it's you and God, and like, God, what's going on? Verse 13, he says, let me have silence, and I will speak. He's like, friends, shut up, please. And let come on me what may. Why should I take my flesh in my teeth? and put my life in my hand. And then he directs himself to God. He says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. What Job is saying here is that, God, I'm going to come before God, and yet this is presumptuous. I, I might be foolish in doing this, and yes, God might slay me on the spot. But I've got no other hope but him. That's a man struggling here. That's how we often struggle. I have nothing here, but I've got God. But yet, God, I'm, I'm wondering why you're doing this. I, I, I know you're in control, but I know I also need you. But I'm mad at you, and I'm struggling here. And Job's saying, though he slay me, I'm going to hope in him. i got nothing else. I appreciate Job's faith, faith there and how he holds on. Let's move on to chapter 19 now. Again, Job understands that his problem The one he needs is God himself. In chapter 19, verse 13, he makes this explicit. He says that God has put my brothers far from me, and those who knew me are wholly estranged to me. 
My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I have become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must plead with him with my mouth for mercy. He says in verse 17, My breath is strange to my wife, and I am a stench to the children of my own mother. Get this dude a tic-tac. Erica would tell me this when she was pregnant with Keziah. Because everything made her nauseous. And she said, your breath makes me nauseous. And I brushed my teeth, and she's like, no, Job, Job you know, 1917. But Job is saying, like, my, my wife can't stand to hear my voice right now. She, she can't stand to hear me not curse God. He says, I'm a stench to the children of my own mother. Who's that? His brother and sister. Even young children despise me. When I rise, they talk against me. All my intimate friends abhor me. And those whom I love have turned against me. My bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. And then verse 21, Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O you, my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. He's like, come on. I'm in a mess here. But I don't know why I'm suffering because I've been holding on to my integrity. And in verse 23, he says, Oh, that my words were written. What I mean, huh? As I read his words. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Indeed they are, praise God. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives and at last he will stand upon the earth. And you're like, wait, where's he going? He just talked about his great despair, and then he says, but I know my Redeemer lives. See, this word Redeemer is a Hebrew word, goel. And what the word goel means, it means what often is called a kinsman redeemer. It is this concept in the, among the God's people, the Jewish people, that when someone and your family was struggling, you had someone who was your kinsman, your, your family member, who would come to redeem you in your circumstance. Maybe you went bankrupt, and your kinsman could come and redeem you from the consequences of that. Maybe there was illness, maybe there was a tragedy, your, your family member could come in and step in and advocate on your behalf. And what Job says, I know that my redeemer lives. And the question is, who's his redeemer? It's God himself. See, in the book of Isaiah, God calls himself a kinsman redeemer to his people. And though Job is struggling, and he's not thinking completely straight, but he's got one thing on point, and that's who his God is and what he does. See, what God has done, he says, Israel, my covenant people, these are my people, and I am their redeemer, and I will come in and intercede on their behalf. I will advocate for them. When all is lost, I will stand in the gap to redeem them. Job's saying, that is my God who's going to ultimately one day redeem me and he is the one who lives. But oh, how this drips with imagery, doesn't it? Because we fast forward into the New Testament of the Bible. Not only is God his redeemer there for Job, but our God has come on this earth and stepped in the gap for you and me. See, our sin, our wickedness that's in our heart does condemn us to eternal death and hell for eternity. It does that. 
And we can't mistake in that. You and I deserve an eternal separation from God, but our ultimate kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, has said, I am going to advocate for them. And as Paul says in Timothy, there is one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus who stood in the gap. And so we, though we might feel like Job, we, like him, can say, I know that my redeemer lives, and he will be the one to get me out of this. Job holds on. Well, how is he able to have this perspective? I was thinking this week. Job understood that God was trustworthy when life was good. And Job undoubtedly reasoned, if I can trust God when it is good, why can't I trust him when it is bad? And he chooses to hold on. Or as the psalmist says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You see, our faith in present times often comes from our battles in the past. We say, God, you were there with me before, and I know you'll be with me now. See, the past battle brings present faith a lot of times. We've seen God's faithfulness before, we can trust him no matter what he has. And that's what he does here in chapter 19. See, I mentioned, family, that when we're broken and battered, confused, and in chaos, we can place our frail faith in our strong God. Job's got frail faith. He's struggling like anything. But he knows his Redeemer lives. And he's going to hold on to his integrity. And so what life doesn't make sense to us like a newborn child in the arms, is able to rest. We, in the same way, need to rest in the arms of our God who redeems us. And say with Job, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him, for I know that my Redeemer lives. So as we go forth this week, family, we need to hold fast to that. When life doesn't make sense, you can be raw before God but know that your life still has value in God's sight as his image bearer. And you can hold on to that. Hold on to him. Hold on to the cross of Jesus. And we find forgiveness and hope forever. Though we slain him, yet we trust in him. Father, these are tough words, Lord. It's not easy to read the angst of someone who loves you. But oh God, how thankful I am for these words and these pages. God, I pray for my brothers. I pray for my sisters, for our youth. As we go to school this week, as we go to work, as we're home, God, I pray, Lord, no matter what we're going through, that we know we can come to you, God, with raw emotion. That, that, that we don't need to clean ourselves up before we come to you, God, because you say, come to me, you who are weary. And Father, I pray for each here who is your child, who knows you, that when they come to you, Lord, that they would see the cross of Jesus and their Redeemer and his resurrection from the dead 
and that he is alive, advocating, mediating on their behalf, and they can say, God, no matter what I go through, I know I can trust in you. So give me help and hope now. And Father, I do pray, Lord, for others who are searching out who you are today. May they know, God, that you are a firm foundation, a rock to stand on. And though their lives may feel like sinking sand, they can come to you for forgiveness and eternal life and hope as they turn from their sins. Bring faith, we pray today, O Lord. And Father, and now as we are preparing our hearts, Lord, to celebrate the Lord's Supper, keep on the forefront of our minds the beauty of our Redeemer. In Jesus' name.